So have you ever heard the following phrase? If all else fails, blank. You know, fill in the blank. If all else fails. Well, what that means is this. That means if you, if you have a plan together and what you were planning on doing falls apart, then there's always a, a plan B, right? If all else fails, I'll, I'll take an Uber. If all else fails, I'll, I'll hug the dog, you know? If all else fails, I'll go for a walk. If all else fails, I'll press control, alternate, delete. If all else fails, I'll use duct tape. If all else fails, I'll, I'll take a nap. Or if all else fails, I'll eat bacon. Yeah, I mean, I'd do that if it wasn't failing or not. Either way, I'm good. It works both ways. One of the worst if all else fails moments in the world for many parents is Christmas Eve, right? It's Christmas Eve. You've, you've finally got that play kitchen from Ikea all together. You know, it's sitting there in the floor. You're, you're all excited, and you look back down, and, and there's this one screw left. You have no idea where it goes, where it's supposed to go, but more than likely the whole thing is going to fall apart on Christmas morning because that one screw is not where it's supposed to be. And what usually makes that moment worse is when your spouse or your teenager or your in-laws are in the room and they say, well, if all else fails, you can read the instructions. Yeah, that'll bless your heart in that moment, right? That's what you want to hear. Or in that moment, you could say, hey, if all else fails, I'll take the kids to IHOP in the morning for Reese's Pieces pancakes, and they'll forget about that play kitchen. It won't even matter. Or you may look at your watch and say, it's 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve night. I'm just going IHOP by myself right now. That'll solve this problem altogether. If all else fails, if all else fails. Sometimes in life, though, we don't know what to do when all else fails, right? We don't know how to manage that moment. We're, we're lost, we're frustrated, we're angry, we're confused, we're, we're so many different things. And what's even worse is when all else fails and it's all our fault, right? It, it's on us. It, it failed because of something we did. That makes the frustration and the anger and the pain and the worry and the suffering even worse than it was before. So what do we do? What do we do when, when pain and frustration and difficulty and hardship and suffering comes our way? How, how can we handle it? Is there any help for those moments? Well, in the words of philosopher Maxwell Smart, would you believe that the answer does not come from a TikTok video this past week? It doesn't. Would you believe that the answer actually comes from 2,600 years ago? Your, your suffering, your frustration, the difficulty that you might be facing today, the answer, the help for that comes from a long, long time ago. What is that helpful answer? Well, let's see if we can find out. Lamentations chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our reproach. If we were to modernize this, somebody might say, hey, if all else fails, pray, right? But I mean, that's, that's actually terrible advice in one sense. Don't, don't wait till everything fails to pray. You know, pray before whatever happens, and then maybe it, it won't fail. But in this moment in history, we are finding who we believe to be the prophet Jeremiah writing about how everything in Jerusalem failed. 
It had already failed. The city had been conquered. The church had been destroyed. The community had been dismantled. The entire nation was falling or had already fallen apart. Almost overnight, the people found themselves poor and homeless and starving, humiliated and exhausted. Why? Well, practically speaking, physically speaking, because the Babylonian Empire had come in and invaded and taken over. And and then the, the poet prophet, he describes what some of the aftermath is. Listen to verse 2. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. No joking aside, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, this is not science fiction, okay? This would be people from other countries, right? So he's saying, look, everything that we had, our inheritance, it's, it's not our kids anymore. They, they aren't going to get it, and our grandkids aren't going to get it. Everything that we've been saving up to hand off to our families, it's gone. And the worst part is it's been given over, been taken by this invading army. Verse 3, we have become orphans without a father. Our mothers are like widows. They lost everything. The the description here is they, they lost everything. They lost their city, they lost their homes, they lost their retirement accounts, they lost their savings, they lost all of those things in the inheritance, they lost the church, they lost the restaurants, some of their family members had been killed, some of their friends had been killed, they lost everything. Their entire way of life, the way that things had been for more than 40 years was completely gone and it was never coming back. Anything sound familiar there? Any, any experience that we've had in the last couple of years that, that feels a little bit like the same? Then he says this, verse 4. We have to pay for our drinking water. This is one of the most interesting verses in the entire Bible, maybe, right? I mean, because, you know, we live in a day where we have to pay $6 for a bottle of water from a magical spring in Arendelle, right? So, I mean, this doesn't sound strange to us in any way. But for them, what this meant was they couldn't go to the well and get a drink. There was, there was a soldier there asking for money. They couldn't go to a public water fountain without having to pay for it. Their life was suddenly impossible. It wasn't just that gas prices went up. They couldn't even get something to drink unless they paid for it, and they didn't have any jobs, and they didn't have any money. It was an impossible situation, a situation you feel like you'll never get out of. And then he goes on, verse 5. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are worn out. There is no rest for us. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like you had a, a situation in life that just felt like it was, was strangling you? It was suffocating you? You, you were just overwhelmed with, with fear or worry or anger. You were tired. You were worn out. You were humiliated. You were exhausted. And so much so, you, you couldn't eat, you couldn't drink, and you couldn't even think. Ever been there? Have, have you been there this week? Are you there this morning? I would say all of us have had a moment like that, maybe a lot of moments like that. And if so, can I just offer you to to you again the first words from the prophet prophet back in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. 
He is praying. This, this last poem in the book of Lamentations, it's, it's more of a prayer than a lament. And, and he's praying because he understands that is the greatest thing that he can do. In your most desperate moments of life, the greatest thing you can do is pray. I had the privilege Wednesday night to hang out with our, our fifth and sixth graders in, in the 56 group. And we were talking about what it means to, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And we had some questions we were going through, like how can you trust God when you know, there's a problem in your family? How can you trust God when there's a problem at school? How can you trust God? And, and you know, several different questions. And, and one of our, our 56ers, every time we asked the question, they gave an answer, and the same answer just in different forms with some different words, but the answer was basically this, well, you can ask God. And, you know, I, I get into the third or fourth question, and I'm like, hey, what's, what's the answer to that? And, you know, some answer, you can ask God. You can ask God. And it, it probably took me all five questions to go, you know what, that, that's the right answer. <laughs> that, that, that's always the right answer. No matter what question you are facing in life, the right answer is always, hey, ask God. Just ask God. Pray to God. Cry out to God. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when was the last time you did that? I'm not talking about kind of an afterthought as you're driving down the road going, hey, God, help me out with this. When was the last time you truly asked God for something? You truly prayed for something? You truly cried out to God for something? Or maybe you feel like something that I read this week where, where they said, you know, maybe your thought is, well, well God has had enough of me. <laughs> you know, he's had enough of me. You can at least ask him. Even if you think he's had enough of you, you can at least ask him. Or maybe you're thinking, well, well God has heard enough from me. You can at least ask him. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I've taken that same thing to him 50 times now, so, so he's tired of me. I know he's being impatient with me. Even if you feel that way, you can still ask him. You can still ask him went on to say this as long as you have life and breath you have it for a reason and therefore you have hope at least ask God go to him in prayer ask God you have nothing to lose and everything to gain regardless of what the situation or circumstance is, regardless of how you feel, just, just ask God. I'm not the Pope. You don't have to get me to pray for you. You just ask God. Just, just cry out to God. You just ask God. And if he doesn't answer your prayer, then he answered your prayer. If God doesn't answer your prayer, then he answered your prayer prayer meaning that whatever answer he gives is better than the answer we wanted that doesn't always make sense we don't like it it doesn't always feel good but it is universally true he knows what he's doing the people of Jerusalem they did not want what they had they had not been crying out to God listen to verse 7 our fathers sinned and are no more. It is we who have borne their iniquities. Now, does that mean that they were being punished for the sins of their parents and their grandparents? 
Well, yes and no. For instance, if, if someone's father is a criminal and, and he's known for, for stealing and, and doing terrible things, his kids are not going to go to jail for his crimes. That's just not how it works. Well, Lord willing, it's not how it works. But there's no escaping the fact that in some way, shape, or form, they'll be impacted and influenced by the fact that their father was a criminal. In other words, consequences exist. Our, our actions come with consequences, and you can't avoid the consequences. So in this moment, we have this scene where the sins of the previous generations are starting to impact in a pretty dramatic way because they lost everything. You know, it's, it's interesting how in today's world it seems like the, the news in, in so many different ways is constantly crying out that the decisions that the leaders in our country are making are going to ruin the future for our children and our grandchildren. And that may be true. I, I don't know. But it's also just as interesting that we seem to not be willing to say, well, decisions made 50 years ago and 150 years ago and, and 500 years ago had the same impact on generations. In other words, what King Solomon said, there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. We just live now. This is what it sounds like now. It's always been this way. There's always been bad decisions. There's always been decisions by parents and grandparents that didn't go well for the children and the grandchildren. It's always been that way. It will always be that way to some degree. doesn't mean we just blow things off, right? Well, there's nothing new under the sun, so who cares? No, that's not it at all. No, we still need to speak up for wisdom and justice and mercy and strength. And we need to spend our money and we need to vote and we need to serve in our community in a way that is consistent with wisdom and strength and mercy and justice. But we also need to have the humility to remember there has never been a single time where there was a golden age of family values or morality in any nation, in any country, anywhere. It's never been that way. That's exactly why Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven where nothing can take it because heaven will not be here. See, what the people of Jerusalem did was they said, well, this is heaven for us. We want to live as heaven on earth. We, we want to set this as our heaven. And so what they did is they lived without thankful humility toward God. And they did not live with their eyes toward eternity. If we look at how everything is described, we see that they lived with national arrogance. And they lived with religious apathy. And they lived in such a way that their whole way of life was focused on their own comfort and their own leisure. I hate to ask the question, but, but does that sound just a little bit like us? And if it does, there's nothing new under the sun. See, the rise and fall of every single society strategically throughout history is connected to the rise of pride and the falling away of humility and compassion and mercy. But that's what we see here. The pride of God's people, it just increased and increased. And humility and compassion and mercy decreased and decreased and they lost everything. 
But that's exactly how it's played out with every single society throughout history. Now, what does that mean? It just means this. It is great and wonderful and right and good and helpful and hopeful to be proud of our country. My wife and I were at college ball game last night and I felt like every break, every time there was a timeout, they had soldiers out on the field, you know, recognizing them for some. I cried the whole game, you know. I mean, every single story, everything that happened when the jets flew over, I'm weepy. Listen, I love our land. I love being American. I am proud of our country, warts and all. So we should be proud and thankful and grateful of where we live, but we should be careful with pride. There's a difference. Being proud is, is a reflection of being thankful, proud of, of what is happening, proud of the people that protect us and serve us. But being prideful is being so full of pride that we forget and ignore God and our national arrogance increases and our religious apathy increases and our desire for comfort and leisure increases and over time we lose everything because our pride rules that's what happened to the folks in Jerusalem and how bad did it get verse 8 slaves rule over us there is no one to deliver us from their hand the imagery here is kind of interesting. It's like there was a homeless guy in the Babylonian Empire, and somebody convinced him to sign up for the military. So he did. You know, he went in you know, from the bottom, but he proved to be a good soldier, and he, he rose his way up through the ranks. And then eventually we find him here in Jerusalem brutally ruling over the people of Jerusalem. So brutally ruling over kings and queens, the upper class, the, the middle class, the, the blue collar and the white collar Southern Baptists, all of them. We have this, this former slave, so to speak, who's now ruling over the people of God. Why? Because their arrogance increased. Because their apathy increased. Because their desire for comfort increased. And their desire for God decreased. Then in verses 9 through 13, the, the prophet goes on and, and he says that famine hit the people. Sickness hit the people. Hard labor hit them. There was sexual violence against women. Their government leaders were tortured, brutally tortured. And then continuing on in verses 14 and 16, he says the church was gone. Like the church was gone. Well, what does that mean? Well, the building was destroyed. The sanctuary was rubble, the campus was no more, and the pastors and the elders and the deacons and the, the choir and the musicians and the teachers, they had all either been killed or they had been forced into slavery or they had been forced to hide or they had been forced to flee to other countries. Everything fell apart. So they lost their entire religious world. It, it all crumbled on top of them. And that was overwhelming, so overwhelming that the prophet says the people of God quit singing. They quit singing. Listen, you may think you're a terrible singer. That's fine. Don't worry about it. You keep singing, okay? Because great is his faithfulness. You keep singing about it. But they stopped singing. They, they stopped dancing. They 
they stopped everything because they had lost their joy. Now, did they lose the church just because the sanctuary was in rubble or, or that they had lost the church? Is, is that why they were not singing and not dancing? Is it why they lost all their joy just because of, of things falling apart in the church? No, there, there was something deeper that caused their, their joy to disappear. Listen to verse 16. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. They lost their crown. They lost their church. They lost their city. They lost their community. They lost their country because they refused to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. They refused to turn to God. For more than 40 years, God had been sending his messengers through, through the prophets. And he said, listen, here's the message, here's the message. And the people listened. Or they listened to every sermon from every prophet. But they did not obey. They didn't acknowledge their sin. They didn't admit their sin. They didn't confess their sin. They didn't repent of their sin or lament of their sin. They refused to turn to God. And what did that do to them? Verse 17. Their sin did this. Because of this, our heart is faint. Listen, sin will wipe you out. It, it will wipe you out. It will make your spiritual heart and sometimes your physical heart worn out, tired, weary, beat down, humiliated, and exhausted. John Owen said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing, killing you. It's somewhat easy for us to look at leaders in, in the government or leaders in the school system or, or leaders in, in the church or leaders in businesses or, or the guy leading the food truck rodeo down the street and to look at those folks and say, well, that guy, that gal, they're, they're not living right. You know, they're, they're not living right. Somewhat easy for us to do that. You know what's a little bit harder? It's harder for us to stop and look in the mirror and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's easy to rant and rail on all of our government leaders and leaders pretty much anywhere. It is hard to lead ourselves to the mirror of God and say, God, have mercy on me. The people of Jerusalem, they quit looking in the mirror. They quit saying, God, have mercy on me. But listen, whether you're in the White House or whether you're in your house, we all need to heed the sobering truth from John Owen. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Garrett Kell said this, sin refuses to be caged or coddled. It must be killed. It will accept no peace treaty. People of Jerusalem, they experienced that Firsthand, They lost everything. They were conquered because they refused to turn to God and repent of their sin. So, is there any good news? Come on, Dal, this is such a downer. Is there any good news here? What about that thing you said at the beginning? Was there there's something that was supposed to help us when we're suffering? What, what about all that? Well, if all else fails and we start to pray, or if we start to pray before everything fails, or if we're praying while everything is failing, and on and on and on. Is there any hope? Is there any help? Is there any healing 
when things are failing, when things are hard, and when we're suffering. Yes, there's great hope. And it comes in the next statement from the prophet, verse 19. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. I love this scene. Depressing, 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 awful, 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 starvation, terrible violence, everything is really bad. Whoa, wait a minute. God, you rule and you reign. It's a good prayer. It's a real prayer. It's a real crying out to God. It's a really asking of the Lord. And then he catches himself and says, wait a minute. Self, remember who God is. I came across a quote from C.S. Lewis recently. I love it. Autumn is really the best of the seasons, and I'm not sure that old age isn't the best part of life. I think he's right. I mean, because fall is fantastic, first of all. But also that second part, that, that growing old is such a beautiful gift. It should be the best part. Why? Well, you're, you're still living and breathing, right? I mean, wasn't that our thought earlier? If you have life and breath, you have it for a reason, therefore you have hope. And here's one thing you should do with the hope of your life and breath. You should glorify and enjoy God. And one of the most fantastic things that we can enjoy about God is this. He rules forever. His kingdom is forever. His throne is forever. His love is forever. Nothing can change that. No king, no queen, no president, no preacher, no principal, no sheriff, no coach. There is no one who rules forever. Only the one true living God. His kingdom is forever. Nothing can change that. The season of God's rule never changes. The season of, of God's throne never ends. The season of God's love never fails. Never, never, never. His kingdom is forever. And though this world with devils filled will threaten to undo us, it'll threaten to undo you when you leave this building. When you pick up social media and you hear the latest news from Washington, D.C., you'll think these devils are going to undo me. They will not. Because the truth of God's word says that God has purpose for his will to triumph through us because his kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. God's kingdom is forever. But we don't always think like that, do we? We don't. You know what we do? We think just like the prophet is about to think. Listen to verse 20. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Man, this guy's being a drama queen in the middle of chapter 5, right? He says, man, God's rule is forever. God, why do you forsake us, right? We're never like that, are we? We, we never go high to low in the middle of a football game, right? We, we never go high to low in the, in the middle of the week, right? He's just like us. It's a fair question, right? God, how long is this going to last? Have you ever felt this way, though? God, why are you forgetting me? Have you, ever, have you ever been at the hospital? Have you ever been at the funeral home? Have you ever been sitting 
by yourself Friday night at home and, and you're, God, why are you forgetting? God, why have you rejected me? God, why are you forsaking me? This is real. But he knew as soon as he asked that question what he needed to do. And what was that? Well, he had life and breath. Therefore, he had hope. He was there for a reason. And his reason was, hey, I can at least ask God. And so he prays. What does he pray? Look at verse 21. Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Let me say a word about that last part. When he says renew our days as of old, he's not saying, hey, God, get everything back to like it was in 2019, right? Because if we're honest, a lot of us are thinking that. Come on, I'm tired of it. Let's get back to 2019. It's never coming back, y'all. We know that, right? It's never coming back. Neither is 2009. Neither is 1983. Neither is 1954. Neither is 555 AD. Neither is 555 BC. Neither is, is 2654 BC. It's, it's not coming back. But this prayer is this. God, back in 2019, when my life was falling apart, you were my God. God, back in, in 2009, when my life was falling apart, God, you were my God. I had my joy. I had my song. Man, I was dancing in my salvation. God, would you renew the days of old, those days when I did not let the news define my joy? God, renew those days of old where the joy of my salvation was everything to me. God did one of his greatest works in my life when I was in college. And to driving onto that campus after a long time, I haven't been there a long time, driving onto that campus and leaving last night, I was overwhelmed. Bumped into Steve Palmer, hadn't seen Steve Palmer probably since I graduated. Steve Palmer was one of those guys that when I was a freshman was following Jesus, not perfectly, but he was following Jesus. And I was like, Who, who's this guy? I want to pay attention to him. There's, there is joy in him. And I want that joy. And it was that moment of days of old. Can't get it back. Can't get my hair back. Can't get those moments back. But I can remember the days of old when God was my God and I didn't let anyone else confuse that that's what he's praying he's praying God God don't let all this stuff around me define me don't let it overwhelm me God renew the days of old when my heart trusted you when I remembered the words of that 56er hey, you can ask God you can ask God but the math of this verse is important because God has to restore before you can get renewed. You can't renew yourself. God has to restore. He has to do this work in our hearts and our minds, and then we'll be renewed spiritually. In other words, when we pray, when we ask God, we should say things like, God, I feel rejected. God, I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel frustrated, angry, overwhelmed. I'm confused. I feel humiliated. I feel exhausted. And God, I'm suffering and I'm in pain. Those are good prayers, good things to say to God. And then, just like the prophet, we say, God, 
would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? God, restore to me the, the joy of my salvation because I've, I've lost my song in all the news. I've lost my dancing with, with all the, the hype of social media. Lord, Lord, I'm just so overwhelmed. Restore to me the joy of my salvation because, listen, friend, nothing else will work. Nothing else will work. Your team will win, but something else will crush you. Your candidate will win, but something else will crush you. The only thing that can help you in this life when you feel the most defeated is the joy of the salvation of God. It is only the salvation of God that can help and heal and bring lasting hope to your heart. Only God's salvation. Only. If you have God's salvation, you have everything you need today. You have everything you need. If you don't have God's salvation, then what you have is some wonderful things that can be taken away from you in a millisecond. And, and that is exactly what happened to the folks in Jerusalem. They ignored their salvation from God and they started finding their salvation in their things and in people and then they were all gone. And listen to how he finishes up chapter five, verse 22. Unless, Lord, you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. Again, this is such a real statement, right? He's thinking, I don't know, God, maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe you have forgotten us. Maybe you are rejecting us. I mean, this is real, right? It's like, God, I mean, I, I think you're going to stop this, but I don't, are you going to stop this? I, I, I don't know. And this is not some, you know, fancy Bible verse. This is a real statement, a heart that is questioning, a real human being that lived about 600 years before Jesus was born, and with his entire country, everything fell apart, and he's saying, God, is this going to stop? Are things going to change? God, I'm, I'm praying it'll stop, but, but is it? I read in several places that in many Jewish synagogues, when when Lamentations 5 is read, they don't stop with verse 22. They, they go back and read 21 because they want to end on a positive note. <laughs> That's good. The only thing about it is it seems that the purpose of verse 22 being here was kind of not to end on a positive note. It seems the purpose of it, of it being here is to help us remember that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God and be separated from him forever. In other words, I think verse 22 is a real kind way of saying, hey, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But I have to say, I, I like the move of the Jewish synagogues. I'm, I want to I end on something positive too. Someone has described Lamentations 5 this way. It is a prayer for national restoration and spiritual renewal. A prayer for national restoration and spiritual renewal. That sounds good to me, right? I mean, that sounds like something that would be really positive. Having national restoration instead of national chaos. Having spiritual renewal instead of having emotional nightmares. Yeah, I think that would be good. Some restoration, some renewal. I'm all about it. So, what can you do to make that happen 
What can you do to bring national restoration and spiritual renewal? Well, you have life and breath. You have life and breath for a reason. You have life and breath, therefore you have hope. So use your hope and do something. And what's that? At least ask God. At least ask him. We all have that ability. Every single one of us. We, we all have the ability to at least ask God. God, would you heal our land? God, would you help our nation? God, would you bring hope to the world? We can ask, right? And here's the amazing thing. That prayer has already been answered. It's already been answered. Do we realize that sometimes? The prayer for national restoration, the prayer for spiritual renewal, it's already been answered. How? It's been answered through the cross. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our prayers. He is the source of restoration. He is the source of renewal. He is the source of hope. So why should we ask God? Why should we say anything to God? Here's why. Because his kingdom is forever. Dear friend, this is not, you know, church language. The kingdom of God is forever. Better is one day in his kingdom than a thousand elsewhere. Great is his faithfulness in his kingdom and beyond. We shout to the Lord because his kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever.